0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. Hope you are having a fantastic day today. Uh, We are going to be talking about a very interesting article that both Micah and I had stumbled across of called The Great Dechurching. We are living in the fastest religious shift in U.S. history. So we're going to talk a little bit about the article and kind of give our thoughts. But um, before that, Micah, how have you been, man?
1: Uh, Busy anxious i've been struggling uh the last couple of weeks just trying to um navigate you know finishing school and what i should do next with my career and uh some family stuff and so have having a little bit of anxiety but you know i'm doing okay how are you
0: i'm doing good um let's see uh last sunday i had to uh send letters to parents because i had some kids behaving badly during youth and i had banned one of them for two weeks
1: Wait a minute. <laughs> that turned my anxiety upside down.
0: You, <laughs> like,
1: wait. you sent letters?
0: I did. <laughs> well, I sent emails because, well, here's what okay. happened. So when I have, I have youth in the evenings, on Sunday evenings, which is why when you're texting me, I never respond because either I'm in the middle of youth or I'm recovering from youth depending on how well it went or how unwell it went. For the um, listeners,
1: I I never know if Scott's like alive because (laughs) I text him like just random things and he just doesn't text me back ever. (laughs) It
0: it is, it is a, it is a, um, it is a skill to know if I'm alive or dead. Um, so a couple weeks ago (laughs) I had a, because what I've been doing is I've been having adults come in because before I was doing it by myself, which is technically not safe. And according to like, um, The UMC has, like, these safe sanctuary um, protocols, which kind of keeps children safe, making sure you have two people in the room, blah, blah, blah. Just kind of, you know, just trying to make sure that everyone's safe and everyone's having a healthy environment. So one of my adults bailed on me, so it was just me, and I had five male students with me. Okay, you know, should I cancel? Should I go? I'm like, well, you know, I don't have any – it's not me and a bunch of female students, so – you know, I'll just go ahead and go and we'll do it. And we're trying to, I'm trying to teach. And literally people listening to loud videos on their phone, I tell them to put away, they don't, or, Oh, here, let me finish this video. And it's like a guy swearing like 50 swear words. Like that's not appropriate for you. Please turn that off. Um, Why we're do? why I'm teaching. Someone went and grabbed a bunch of toys from the place uh, from the uh, preschool that's there. They have a bunch of, uh, play toys in the fellowship hall downstairs because we're still finishing up building their new playground. So they're bringing mats and, and they're like literally rolling up in mats, rolling all over the floor while I'm trying to teach a lesson. Like, guys, stop it. Put that away. Uh, knocking over trash cans. We go outside to play a game and literally they want to kick the balls in the Broad Street. like <laughs> I like got a busy intersection. And I was just like, I had enough. I even text the parent. Like 30 minutes in the youth, come pick up your kid. They're behaving badly. And their parent doesn't come and pick them up. And it's like, okay. So it's all over. And I had to text at least two parents saying, hey, your student was behaving badly. When I told them to stop, they did correct. But I want to give you a warning because, you know, this is like, consider this a warning. Because if it continues to happen, then I'm going to be, they're going to have, they're going to be banned from youth. And then the other student was really the main person who was doing a bunch of crazy stuff. So I ended up banning them for two two weeks. And last year, this was the same student who I banned one week because of behavioral issues. So, yeah. So uh, that was two weeks ago. (laughs) But since we recorded two podcasts the other day, like that's pretty much... um,
1: Pretty much it That's in your life.
0: Pretty much my life. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's, yeah, sometimes you just have to do those things, right? When there's uh, bad behavior and, you know, you have to have rules and if people don't follow the rules and aren't willing to follow the rules, and I can understand why there's going to be consequences for those rules.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's been hard. I think it's been hard for me to kind of go that route because I know how I was in youth. And I wasn't the easiest kid in youth group.
1: You're seeing it in the mirror, is what I you're am. saying.
0: It's like I'm looking at the man in the mirror. <laughs> but
1: people people are gonna turn this podcast off this week.
0: Oh yeah. But the other thing is, is I mean, I worked in, in camp ministry, like our mm-hmm. big thing was always giving kids second, third, fourth chances, especially when I first started work doing, working at camp, like the director at the time was a judge. And sometimes he would bring kids who were like in the system
1: sure. or
0: the juvenile system and bring them to camp thinking, well, I have them come into a Christian camp. This will I turn their lives around. I remember my first counseling assignment. I think like three fourths of my kids were from the juvenile detention system. And granted, I got to learn about those kids. I got to learn about their home lives. It was probably like one of the most emotionally rough things. But behaviorally, yeah, there are some behavioral issues, but. At the same time, I never had the type of issues or problems or to the point where I was just get, about to lose my cool that I did two weeks ago inside of a church. But I was cool with, you know, these kids who are kicked out of school, who are fighting, who really had really messed up home lives. Uh Like, I was able to navigate that. So it was – so either I'm getting too old where I just don't tolerate crap anymore or it was just really bad where I'm like, okay, I don't know why you're behaving like this because even the kid who, you know, who gets into a fight with his stepdad every single day, like a knockout fist fight, like when I say, hey, this is not appropriate. Can you please stop? Oh, okay. Okay, Mr. Scott.
1: (laughs) Do you oh think a lot God. of it has to do with 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 the technology that we have today? Like they can just see everything, like whether it's a video game or a cell phone or a tablet. Like it, I was, I saw a meme yesterday and I sent it to my brother-in-law, who's a worship leader at a, a church in Georgia, and it says, "Not a cell phone in sight, just people living in the moment." And it's like it's medieval people just swinging axes and swords and stuff.
0: Well, <laughs> but, I think I well, I think that might be the thing too, because I mean, you have to. You know, I think a lot of times, like as a kid, as your brain's developing, you know, a lot of times you try to behave and act in the world or in life based on what you kind of see. Sure. Um, no, no. So I mean, yeah, you, you talk about like battle axes. Like if I was the if I was on the playground, I always get to a fight, literally, and I don't know why I would do it. <laughs> I would start humming songs as I was like fighting. which is weird but then i'd be humming video game songs and sometimes the fight would just stop because they are like what are you doing why are you humming weirdo and it's like so i never got into a fight because people were just like okay why is he humming like i'm like psyching myself up like like but so i don't know like so has peter done that yet no what peter does is he gets so excited like we uh uh Disney uh, Speedstorm is like now free to play, so you can play it for free, which is like the Disney like Mario Kart game. Mm-hmm. And my son will be playing that. And literally, if he he'll he'll like when he's ready to boost, when his boost meter's up, he'll stand straight up, hit the boost, and he'll jump up back into the couch and do like a butt bomb on the couch. He does it every time. I peter, you're going to break my couch. Stop doing it. Whereas in Mario, I always go Wee! with my hands. <laughs> To get that log jump, I moved the controller. That's crazy. It is. But yeah, I I guess we could count that as a story gone wild. I mean, for sure. (laughs) I didn't want to share that one, but apparently here we are. So,
1: well, I mean, like, again, you just have to have rules in place. And if people aren't willing to follow those rules, I mean, like, you know, I wasn't the easiest to deal with. And I felt like we talked a little bit about this. I don't know that we've done, you know, we did the Preacher's Kid episode with Jordan, but like, the whole you know idea that the microscope's on you as a pastor's kid and it's worse Oh yeah. so um and then on the flip side as a kid as a pastor's gig you want to you want to lash out and act out more because of those you know said pressures so but then in your case mm-hmm. Scott, like these kids are coming from broken homes they may not have the best home life you know they're getting in fights like you said with their stepdad if, if that's the case you know they're there's definitely a need for um you know, some sort of accountability or discipline because they're not getting it at home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so is that your story's gone wild then?
0: That's going to be my story's gone wild. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I guess you want me to share one or yeah,
0: go right ahead. If you have one, share it. I would love to hear it.
1: Well, I was thinking, so there was one that I wanted to share, but I guess I'll share it at another time but since you brought up camp ministry okay um i went to the same camp that you worked at as mm-hmm. a kid so you worked at camp moringo which mm-hmm. is no longer a thing nope. uh, correct um correct so yeah i don't want you to get on a soapbox sorry uh, i know it's kind of a, a <laughs> it's still soft... sticky
0: after all these years it's still a sticky subject still <laughs> it still burns it still burns
1: So, um, years ago I'm talking, I don't know. I was seventh grade, eighth grade, middle school. Um, I went to camp Marengo and Jeremy Halstead, which is Jordan Halstead's dad was my counselor and Jeremy led me to the Lord. He, you know, was the person responsible for me to, you know, finding my salvation. And I'm so grateful for that. And, um, my first, or second year, I think I went there maybe four years total, Uh, you know, young all the way up through high school. You know, we we moved during that time. And so we were we were out of central Ohio and more into northeast Ohio. And so we went to Berlin camp after that for camp meeting and things like that once we moved. But um I remember one of the first years that I went to Camp Marengo, I learned quickly that I was allergic to poison ivy, mm. like allergic allergic like so bad so that i got sent to the emergency room because my eyes were swollen shut and um we learned that do you remember 99 2000 okay something like that um but I, we figured out that I got poison ivy from the smoke. We had like a bonfire one of the first nights mm. and the oils that were in the logs can penetrate through the smoke. And if you, you know, are susceptible to poison ivy, then you can certainly get it. Yeah. I was covered in poison ivy. I was miserable the entire summer because I had poison ivy like so much so that I scratched and I was just, I had to be on steroids most of the summer prednisone. Um, and I had, I was living off the calamine lotion. So, um, when, when you said that, uh, I have a point to this. So it it made (laughs) me think, it made me think of discipline, right? So like John, John Trussell, when people got in trouble, made people hug trees.
0: Yes. I do remember that. I had to do that too. Cause I, well, that's another story, but go ahead. Yeah. Right.
1: But like, it just, I guess it kind of ties together with the fact that I got poison ivy one year and it was really, really bad. And I think it was like my first year and like, I was so bad that I wanted to go home, but I actually ended up toughing it out and staying, uh, for the whole week. And, um, yeah, that was one of my earliest camp memories. And it's funny because like, I've, you know, my life and journey has really been able to, um, you know, afford me a lot of great opportunities at camp ministry because i've i've been able to work at camp maringo you know go both you know be as a uh as a camper and then go on later into life into ministry and then um i've been able to serve at berlin i've been able to serve at lebanon um and i've been able to lead at other campgrounds all over the the country uh worship for you know i guess you want to call it camp meeting or whatever um do they even call it camp meeting anymore i think they do but um mm. but yeah it i thought that was hilarious when you you reminded me about being disciplined so like i was thinking oh crap i got poison ivy really bad one year but then it wasn't from hugging a tree because john trust made me hug a tree it was because i got got it from smoke from a from a campfire yeah,
0: yeah. yep so and i've had that happen when i was at camp when we were doing the um when we we're doing wilderness survival with uh, after-school groups, they were handing me twigs, and when I was putting them there, and I was smoking, and the smoke was hitting my arm, and I had poison ivy just covered on my forearm, like just. My father-in-law
1: Marty is terribly allergic to poison ivy. Like, if you're in your backyard, Scott, and mm-hmm. he's in the next, he's in the next yard over, and there's poison ivy in your yard, he somehow manages to get it. That's how allergic oh, he wow. is to it. So.
0: Goodness. But, but he right. pours
1: like bleach on it and burns it off.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Apparently that,
1: bleach will help burn it. Burn It, it does. Up. It,
0: it dries it like kind of dries out the skin and dries out all and it busts open all the pus and dries everything out.
1: So now that we've talked about pus, um, let's oh. talk about the great de deterging.
0: Yeah. So there's an article that was published actually the 26th of this year of September. So very recent. And it comes from a uh, website called groundswellmovement.substack.com. Um, if you happen to just go to that site and hit enter, it's one of the very top articles because it's probably the most recent one. They they specialize in like church leadership things and um, looking at tr- church trends. Um, and they talk about the great de-churching. And they talk about how, you know, something significant happened. Uh, they mentioned that... Um, There has been an increase, a rapid increase of religious disaffiliation or the rise of the nuns. And also in 2020, a Gallup study did a poll that the U.S. church membership falls below 50% for the first time. So as far as they've been tracking church attendance, church membership, it has always been above the 50% mark. It is now um, down. So right on the things that they're asking the question is like, okay, with all this research, what is causing a lot of these people to leave the church? Now, to to kind of like clarify, this is not just like people who aren't coming to church. Mm-hmm. These are people who were part of the church, who are very active in the church, people who had membership in the church, whatever that looked like within your denomination. Um, and now they're just leaving, just absolutely leaving. So... Um, so they kind of, again, throughout the article, they kind of address what the problem is. They kind of diff- they break up the different groups of some of these churches that a group of people like who are the people who are leaving? What kind of groups do they fall into? And then um, they kind of have some solutions on what can we do about that to kind of get church membership back up? And that's pretty much a summary of the article. So, Micah, uh, when you were reading this article, what was um kind of your initial thoughts after you read uh this article
1: um it's uh one of the things some of the statistics statistics were the uh the most startling things for me um and i was trying to find it and i was talking to alicia about it the other day but like um where is it sorry um like a certain percentage of Americans are only going to church once a month, if that, um, which I thought was crazy. Um, and then 16% of the population no longer attends a local church. Um, in the beginning in the first paragraph, it says, if you were to add the number of people that surrendered to Christ in the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, and all of Billy Graham's Crusades combined, it would not equal to those who have left the church in the last 25 years. And we're not even talking like pandemic we're talking yeah. in the last quarter of a century, um, and it says to be considered dechurched, a person who previously attended church at least once a month now attends less than once a year. Forty million people prof- uh, fit that profile. Yeah, um, what do you think of that?
0: That's crazy. I mean, like, that's crazy. Go ahead. I mean, I mean, here is the thing: like, you to think about for someone, it's weird because you know I'm someone who went to church. My family left the church when I was like in first grade and then I didn't start going back into church till like right towards the end of fifth grade, going into sixth grade is when we started going back to church. And then of course I've been at church. Um, I've been at church pretty much all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, every single Sunday I've been in church. Um, this is before I became a pastor. And then, you know, I was in church every single Sunday because I work on Sundays, but um but then, you know, being in a church now where I'm kind of like, you know, I think at the same time, when you're at a smaller church, you can kind of look at like, okay, these people come occasionally. So you're you're so you're in a way where you're like, okay, well, maybe they just need to feel more connected to the church. Maybe they just need to, maybe as a pastor, you know, I just maybe they don't know me very well. So, you know, there's always that pressure. Well, if they knew the pastor more, they're had a strong relationship of the pastor, then they would come to church more often, which that was never the case because You know, I'm not the I'm not the church, you know, so um, needless to say, like, but now that I'm kind of not the lead anymore and I'm kind of more in an auxiliary pastoral role. And I'm just kind of like looking at everything. That seems to be more norm now than anything. Just like, you know, there's some people who I'm like, like sometimes like, oh, where are these people at? And I'm like, I mean, I know that their kids are involved in sports, fall sports, so I'll probably see them in winter. And usually I'm right. Like usually winter we'll start seeing them come or like, Oh yeah, there's this family. And, you know, I'll talk to them. I said, well, you know, every week and they go, I talked to them. I was just having a conversation and just seeing how their summer went. And they said, Oh yeah, we're still kind of every fall. We still kind of go to our lake house. So, so they go to school Monday through Friday and then the weekend they go to their lake house and they come back and they do all again. It's like, yeah, once winter hits, you know, we'll see you guys. I'm like, okay. Like, so it's, so it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, this is uh very interesting. Like, you know, I think the priority, you know, reality is, is I don't think church isn't a, and one of the things that they say is, well, why did they leave? Well, church wasn't a priority anymore. And I know there might be some people who are listening to this going, Blown away by that, like what churches in the priority? Well, well, you have to love Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and and I think that's kind of the big thing. Is especially when we start getting down to the different groups on why they're leaving, it's not necessarily about Jesus or their lack or or their backsliding love for Jesus. It's really a lot of it is just church infrastructure. At least that's kind of what I was getting most of why people were leaving the church was just the infrastructure.
1: You mean the way it's set up? The way it's set then... up.
0: Like, um, like for example, they have, like, I believe they have, let me just double check, like, they have four groups that they, or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, they have about four main groups. They said they had six groups in this article, but they're only highlighting four. Um, so for an example, they have, like, group one, uh, cultural Christians. And um, they say that this is the largest of the four subgroups of evangelicalisms, evangelicals who have left the church or cultural Christians, kind of for 8 million people. Based on doctrinal beliefs, it might be accurate to say that few of them were believers in the first place. Okay, so these were, you know, we would call them, these are your Sunday Easter Christians, right? C- occasionally they come. Uh, they haven't experienced any church hurt, they aren't angry at the church. Instead, They were nominal to begin with now that Christianity no longer offers any benefits for their career, social standing or credibility. They don't see the need to attend. So, you know, for them, and I think that's kind of an interesting point too, that they make, especially why people come to church. Sometimes people come to church because back in the day that was kind of the, um, if you want to get well known, if you knew some big of your power players, to sometimes people go to church and do business deals because they knew, like, hey, if I can get this guy's business, let me go to his church. Same thing, like my buddy Fred in Africa. He says that if there's anybody who's running for politics in Kenya, more likely they need to be associated with the church because if they're have no association with the church or they don't go to church, people will not vote for them in Kenya because they want to have an upstanding Christian living there, which, you know, for them is kind of, you know, people can fake that. Oh, I go to church, but they're not really a Christian as a, um, you know, they're not really a Christian as we know it, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things now where it's like, well, what does the church offer me? What type of social standings do I get from coming to the church? What type of opportunities? I mean, if I go to a church with a businessman, of a fortune 500 company and i'm a businessman too and i'm trying to work my way up the corporate ladder and i'm stuck or stagnant in my business well hey i go to church with this guy i can talk with him befriend him maybe he can let me know that hey there's an opening we'd like you to come work for us and now i'm moving up that ladder
1: yeah um something i find amazing in, in the last year that we've um you know been going to church you know I would say inconsistently, but like, but I mean, by that is like going to different churches throughout the year. So we're not going to the same church consistently, Mm -hmm. but like, if we, if we decide, Hey, we're going to go to this church for a couple of months and just visit the, the thing that amazes me is back to your comment about like, there'll be some Sundays where the church is just packed. Right. And then there are other Sundays where it's like, where the heck is everybody? And I'm not, I'm not even talking like vacations or times of year. It's just, it's, it's amazing to me how, how some Sundays there's so many more people there than others. And it, and it doesn't even, you know, and it's not even an age demographic. It's literally like old people, young people, children, families, young families, you know, grandparents, whoever. Right. Um, and it's almost like you're playing this, this lottery. Right. And if you were to, you know, do a scratch off ticket, right. And you win the lottery and it's like, Oh, if I'm the pastor and I just won the lottery and I'm not saying gambling Mm -hmm. for this metaphor, but I'm just saying that like, Oh, I scratch and I won this lottery ticket and then my sanctuary is full on Sunday mornings. Oh, I won the lottery because it just so happens to be that this Sunday I'm going to have more people in the house than I would, you know, any other Sunday or, and then the next Sunday, the very next Sunday, you have a third of that and it's got to be deflating or deflating as a pastor. Yeah. uh, Or, or as leaders of a church to like, you know, have you noticed that like, since you've been in Bexley, like some weeks you'll just have a packed service or a pack services. And in the very next week, it's like you have a third or a fourth of what you had the week before. Oh,
0: yeah. And I think, and that's the thing too. Like, I think a lot of times like pastors now kind of know seasons, right? Yeah. Like, they know, summer, I, like I, they know summer, they're going to not have many membership members in summer because everyone's going to be traveling, going on vacation. So it's always going to be low.
1: Well, and I also think too, that like you, you, uh, you, you see that Uh, churches struggle coming out of the pandemic and then pastors will blame it on online, online church. And I'm like, well, I don't know that people aren't coming because online church is an option. Like if they're not coming to church, they may not even be watching online.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think, Um, well, I think that's a big thing too. And I think that kind of fits in with group number two, which was your mainstream evangelicals where top five reasons they left, they moved. I mean, the pandemic hits and if you're getting laid off and you're finding new work, you're probably moving out of the city or out, even out of the state. Um, it was inconvenient. Um, and I yeah, think it says, I want to know if inconvenient, what did it say? I, I'm, sorry. I, I'm just, sorry. I'm just more curious if inconvenient. Cause I know I had some people who literally, especially in Virginia, since we, there's only like 40, some church of God churches in Virginia, I would have people who would drive 45 minutes to an hour to come to church every Sunday. Mm. So I think, yeah. you know, it's inconvenient. Well, if I could watch it online and I can say gas prices the way they are, why would I drive to attend in-person services if I could just watch them online?
1: Yeah, that were, I was going to say that, that the statistics that you were you were quoting, it says, what are the top five reasons they left? It says that they moved 22% says it was inconvenient, 16% said a family change, which what family change make you stop coming to church well i think
0: uh, Um, my you know i think if you have a baby if you have a baby and let's say that baby like peter was like one of the gassiest kids i ever knew um yeah and sometimes he'd just be up all the time so if you're a parent and you're up with a kid who's just fussing all night you're not coming to church because you're just doggone tired And if your kid's just screaming because you don't know if they have a gas problem or maybe they have like an allergy, like a milk allergy and you're breastfeeding and you have no clue, like you're going to bring a fussy kid into a church where you're already maybe have some anxiety about that. But then you're sleep deprived too. So it's just like, well, I'm just going to stay home because I'm exhausted. I'm tired and I really don't want to be around a bunch of people with a fussy baby. So I don't know, maybe that could be, or it could also be, I have a, I have a loved one who is fighting cancer and I'm their primary caregiver and I'm just basically taking care of them all the time. Well,
1: and then like, it goes on to say 15% said it was COVID-19 and then the other 15% said they didn't fit in. What do you mean? What do you think they meant by didn't fit in? like just didn't fit in because they were younger and the church is primarily older in demographic. I, I or... think
0: it could be a couple of things. Maybe they didn't fit in because of that. And that's the thing we don't really know unless we can like look at specific. I don't know if there's like specific questions. If you look down at the data, um, which I don't even think there was a link to sometimes I'll have a link to an article about the research, but they don't really have the actual physical research where you can actually look at all the statistics. But um
1: Well, you talk, we talked a couple of weeks ago with the worship conversation, right? Or the services, multiple services. Like, could it be uh, the time of services, the time of day that their service was offered, whether it was one service or multiple? Uh, Could it be the type of worship they're doing? Is it the loud music too loud? Is it too much light? Is the lighting too much? Is the haze if they use a fog machine too much? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Is it?
0: I think, I think, I I mean, I think the fitting in could be a lot of things. It could just be, Oh, theological differences. Or it could just be at a pastor who taught a certain way. And again, like before the conversation, we're talking about how there's some churches who are hiring pastors or staff that are not necessarily affiliated with the denomination. I mean, I'd be in a classic example, church of God guy working at a UMC church. So I'm, so a lot of, but so uh, again, like I was talking with uh, my pastor because we're, getting geared up to do confirmation. So I'm going to be teaching confirmation, but I also have to make sure that I'm not, you know, I have to make sure that I'm teaching, you know, stuff that is the beliefs of the UMC and not necessarily my personal yeah. beliefs for, that are COG. Um Now, I guess if someone has any questions I can talk about, well, I may not know, but here's kind of how I see things from my, and I'll even preface. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm church of God. I'm not UMC. I have a whole different, Theological thing than what the UMC, and even though we have, we're very similar in thought on certain things, there's other things where we quite differ. So, yeah, I'll mention, I'll I'll always do my disclaimer so people know. Uh, But it could also simply be where they don't fit, is it could be something like, oh, the church decided to put in heavy COVID protocol. You have to wear a mask. Well, I think COVID is a myth, so I'm not going to do that, or vice versa. They're just like, COVID's not real. Everybody come to church mask-free. And they're like, uh, no, thank you. Cause, or no, thank you. Because I have a life-threatening illness. And if I get sick and I get type sure. COVID, like it's, it's a death sentence for me. So, I, I mean, it could be a lot of those things. And again, we just don't really uh,
1: know. There was a church down here. Uh, I think it was back in 2021. And they, you know, back to the live stream conversation. And is that why they're not coming to church? The church decided, Hey, we're not going to do live streaming anymore. If you want to come to church, you're going to come to church. I'm like, well, that's not going to help. Right. Like if that's the attitude you're going to have, that's like, I think you have to offer both regardless because people were churches were live streaming before the pandemic, right? Like they were offering church online before, uh, COVID ever happened. Um, but like, uh, down a couple of paragraphs, it says, what would take, you know, what would, it, uh, what would bring them back? Mm-hmm. And it says 38% says new friends, 34% said finding a church they like, and 30% said a good pastor. And I read that to Alicia yesterday, and as we've been searching and, you know, as we're not on staff at a church at the moment, like she was like, finding new friends at a church is really hard. Uh, Finding people that have common interests that you do, people that are the same age as you, people that have some of the same life experience that you do, um, and then finding a church they like you know, in this journey over the last year for us, it's been incredibly difficult to like find a church that we like because we go in and it's like, uh, do we like the worship? Yes or no. Do we like the teaching? Yes or no. Do we like the liturgy? Yes or no. Do we like, are there people like us? Are there people that are our age? Are there people that like, you know, share our beliefs in Jesus? Um, and then finally it says a good pastor. And I'm like, and by good pastor, that could be a number of things like are they a good communicator mm-hmm. do they uh do they follow up with you do they connect with you if you visited their church like do they uh you know love people do they go out of their way to to approach you and you know you're not just a number to them like are they making that that vital connection that will make you want to stay or make you want to come back um it's 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 that's a hard, you know, that's a whole nother podcast. That's a really hard thing as a pastor to, to try to relate people, relate to people, walk alongside them, have similar interests. Like as a pastor, like you could literally sum all three of those things we just mentioned, like as a pastor, it's hard to make new friends. It's hard to to make your church appealing to others. And it's hard to be a good pastor, mm-hmm. communicator, family, person, friend, visit people, do funerals, love people, write assimilation uh do life groups like you name run a church run a nonprofit, and make sure that the business side of the church is doing well all those things yeah um do you have any thoughts on those no i think i think everything
0: you're saying is true and i think even like with laura and i's experience it's actually nice that there's actually people who are our age who have young kids that we can connect with that we can talk with and it's nice because even though it's like yeah i'm a quote-unquote family minister pastor You know, some of them still see me and they see my position and they go, okay, this is Pastor Scott. And they call me Pastor Scott. But at the same time, they're also like, very like, hey, is it okay that our son after church is okay if he plays with your son after? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I usually say, well, I'm usually here working till like noon. So if you come to the first service, like Laura's, it's fine. You have to just double check with Laura because she's going to be the one watching him, not me. So it depends on how Laura is, if she's just, um, you know, kind of done. So, you know, or maybe she's just exhausted because she is an introvert. So maybe sometimes, depending on how service goes, she may just feel overwhelmed. She's like, I don't want any more people in my house. I just want to have my time where I'm away from everybody. Um, well, yeah, the
1: third group is yeah. called the ex-evangelicals, which I think is kind of a, an interesting name. But it yeah. says the third highest group is also just over two million people, and probably the group that you most likely think about when it comes to dechurching. However, it is slightly less than five percent of the forty million who have dechurched.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that, I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, because you know, again, Michael, you and I are on TikTok, and a lot of times I'll come across videos where I'll see the hashtag #evangelical, and I'll hear about their horror stories of church, or especially being in a big like mainline Protestant evangelical church and some of the horror stories that they tell. And it's like, um, and again, that's kind of one, why did they leave? Well, they had a negative experience with the church. So I think that is um, very interesting. I think more famously, and I came across the video where it was like Michael Gungor, who, if you don't know who Michael Gungor is, he used to be a big time worship leader saying the song, beautiful things, beautiful things. Yeah. Um, him and his wife were very big into becoming big national I guess sometimes national touring worship leaders and then they kind of had a crisis of faith and they basically end up leaving the church and they're still making like kind of like spiritual music but not necessarily focused Christian well he came back and said hey just want to know that I'm looking for a church and he kind of talked about how he was searching he was kind of doing that he was still like kind of and he kind of once he was able to find his faith, he's like, well, you know, it kind of led me back to Christianity, but you know, for him, it's like, well, I want to try to find a church that is specifically focused on outreach and justice and not necessarily kind of a, you know, as what he would say, like a big conservative evangelical church. Cause that's, he doesn't want to go back to what he came out from. He wants to kind of go to something. It's like, I also live in Pasadena, California, if that helps, it's like, well, shoot, if you said I live in Columbus, Ohio, I'm like, on the Bexley United Methodist Church (laughs) like you know Yeah, Um, but yeah I think that's interesting too where you know that's kind of where I think a lot of ex-evangelicals are is they have it's not necessarily that they don't like Jesus in some ways I think they do love Jesus they do believe that I mean they said 97% of these ex-evangelical groups believe that Jesus is the son of God and most still identify as a Christian but their big issue of why is that they it's had to do with a church that probably teaches one thing, but their actions prove something different. Um,
1: well, well, think about this for a second. Yeah, go right ahead. I was talking to Jeanette Flynn, who's been on our show a couple of times yes. the other day, and we were talking about the, the way the church is looking these days and moving forward, and how it's okay for church to not look like a physical building anymore and she was uh she was telling me about a young pastor who's probably like our age or in between our ages Scott and she mentioned that he was like a bit like associate pastor, an executive pastor or a teaching pastor at a bigger church in Indiana, and he just felt like the Lord was calling him to go do something else with the church, and they believed that it was like doing like an apartment ministry like they went bought an apartment complex. And they're doing like small house church in an apartment complex in the greater Dayton area. And so like, it's not like, hey, we're going to go to corporate worship at a physical building on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. and sing a bunch of songs, read a scripture and have a message. And, you know, part of the evangelical church struggle for that is that you've got a generation of pastors and leaders who don't understand that. Right. Because their whole life has been, I think of my dad, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Whole life has been nothing but pastoring and leading a church. Mm-hmm. Pastoring may not look like that in t- 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and if some of these churches close because of decline in health and decline in, in, in attendance and things like that, what are you going to do? And where are you going to get your spiritual nourishment? Right. Like, are you going to do just a small, like, house group? Uh, house church kind of thing where you sing a couple of songs, you break the word of God together. Like um, uh, my chiropractor is, is, a, is born again. And he, he's a wonderful Christian man. And he, you know, their church went through a bit of a transition in the last year or so. And so like there's, you know, he and his wife have five children and then there's another family in their church that has five or six children. I think all of which are adopted because they couldn't have children of their own. And so they literally do life together. And so, during that transition of church for them, they got together on Sundays and they broke together the Word of God and they sang a couple of songs and they 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 planned out what it would look like to have a a small group setting together every Sunday. And they're having church. It's just not in a big, you know, Bexley United Methodist Church or you know Crossroads Church in Cincy or whoever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's yeah. completely different than what we know as church and what we grew up with as church and what we've been on staff at churches for. And I think that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. As long as the word of God is being proclaimed and, we, and we're, we're doing doing what Jesus told us to do, which was love God and love each other and lead people to him and go out into all the world and make disciples. I don't know that in scripture it says, hey, you have to have this physical building, right?
0: Yeah absolutely or
1: you know and i'm sorry about the side tangent but it just it made me think of that because the evangelical church isn't what we know it is anymore
0: yeah and and i think um you know and i think just to kind of hit on a the evangelical thing um kind of like the mentality i want to read this this popped up in my feed this morning from a friend that i attended school with at anderson and it's very long so i'm just going to kind of hit a couple of um couple of um a couple of spots it says uh talking to my daughter today and again this is a lady who is who has a couple of foster kids so someone who in the foster system but now they are actually legally her own um so talking to my daughter today i was able to explain how i feel about god in the church and religion something that i've been wrestling with for years uh, let me say that I believe 100% in God and I've never doubted him or wavered in my love of him. That's not to say by any means to stretch that I had a perfect or I'm never wrong. It's also not to say that I do things or handle them right all the time. In 2015, I travel around the world and I got to experience um, different churches outside of America and how they did things, um, everything, people in the church who did things with less, less money, resources, opportunities, and love. And I'm so impacted strongly by the lessons of loving people who have experienced different lives and experiences that I have truly trying to know and understand and love them the way I believe Christ would. I've come to hate the things that I believe aches God's hearts, like bigotry and racism and prejudice and inequality and injustice, as well as I believe that I am doing wrong if I don't stand up against those things. Uh, Then I came back to America and... uh, have seen how much hate and hate bigotry has infiltrated the church. I've been told to WWJD, but that only counts if you aren't protecting yourself and your home and your health and your family and your freedom. Um, I've been part of a community where people would come to church and pretend to be holy and God-fearing, but then get blacked out, drunk, high, sleep around during the week, while simultaneously being so judgmental of other people's sins. I have tragically found myself understanding phrases as a Christian, such as there's no hate like Christian love, and I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I have deeply struggled not with being associated with God and Jesus, but being associated with other Christians. I have struggled to sit in pews every Sunday, listen to sermons about how we should be as Christians, while well, my kids are treated the opposite by the kids in the same church, because they are different. Why are people mm. leaving the church? Well, we say one thing, but what's actually Do happening another. is different. And and again, like, you know, I think about that. And again, I think this person goes to a larger church, but that would be kind of the big thing. It's like, you know, this lead pastor could be all about, hey, about showing God's love, doing that. But then Within your youth group, you know you have kids making fun of someone because they're adopted, or they're a foster kid, and the youth mm. leader's not doing anything about it, or you know, saying, "Okay, you're banned from youth for a couple of days." Um,
1: couple years. Or a
0: couple of years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I don't think I'd go that far, but you know, that's the reason why. And, you know, and that's the thing, the key to win ex-evangelicals is to win their trust with a posture of humility, active listening and curiosity. And I think a lot of times when it comes to people who are either struggling with their faith or people who have left the church and would consider themselves an ex-evangelical, the moment they start talking about their experiences or the moment they start talking about a little bit of what they're seeing within the church that they left, the kind of some of, you know, it's almost like the def- instead of being curious and listening and asking questions and kind of really trying to under- get to the heart of the issue, right when they start saying certain things like, oh, I don't like that pastor always said this. It's like, well, maybe he meant this. And it's like the defense always comes from the institutional side than necessarily of understanding the person right where they are and going, okay, can you expound a little bit more on that? I I I don't want to assume what I think you're thinking. Can you build that out. So I think that's something that um that uh we can definitely uh you know definitely we can go there and talk about stuff. And, just, and again I think the main thing is they may say some stuff and you might be like, "Oh, I want to defend, I want to defend." But you have to remember 97 what was it? 97% of ex evangelicals that claim they're ex evangelicals do believe that Jesus is the son of God. And they still identify as a Christian. So even if they're saying something that may sound controversial or that may sound like that they don't care about Jesus or they don't love Jesus or, or they don't believe in what the Bible teaches, like you can't automatically assume that because right now they're just trying to talk about things and are just trying to break these layers of hurt and teachings that have been implanted in them. And they're thinking like, well, wait a minute, we're teaching this, but we're doing this like this doesn't, this doesn't connect so you have to kind of look at that and then um the last group is the they call them BIPOC evangelicals which stands for black indigenous indigenous people of color and even though they said that their algorithm doesn't necessarily allowed for to see ethnicity or race they instantly were able to see that they were able to find a couple of people that fell a hundred percent into a non-white and overly black and male category um largest reason why bipoc groups leave the church is I struggle to fit in and belong or I've had some bad experiences with the church and they say that the good news with those with uh the uh black indigenous people of color group is that 65% of them are willing to return to church and their biggest reason for returning would be because of friendships. In fact, the top seven reasons for them returning are all relational in nature. Yeah. So, I mean, so when you look at these four like groups that they saw, like they're four big groups, like it goes back to, um, You know, a lot of them really focus on close friends will draw them back in, Um, finding new friends. Um, Looking at the ex-evangelical, you know, the big thing that will bring them back is mainly just building up their trust, Uh, posture of humility, active listening, curiosity. That may not equate friendship. That could just be more like a counselor counselee relationship in some ways. But if you're going to build trust with someone, you're going to have to befriend them. and. Again, friendship and relational things in nature.
1: Um I just when I said what I said earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, the church may look different. It also the church that I knew, the church that I grew up in, the church that we've been a part of our whole lives it also breaks my heart that people don't feel like they're welcome. And what happened to make them feel that way? And, you know, this includes people of color. This includes young families. This includes older people. Um, what do we do to to make people feel the way they do and not want to come to church? And it's it's very disheartening, you know, when you sit back and you think about, what would it take for those folks to come back to church or is the damage done and are they not going to return because of that? Um, and you talk about Gunger, you talked about Gunger a little bit ago, but like the dude was like a very prominent worship leader in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And then like he had this whole experience where he's like, you know what? Deconstruction, I'm out. And he's just now recently, coming back those millions of people that you reference Scott like they're all figuring it out right and i reference the scripture all the time but like it just says to work out your own salvation and if you're in trembling like it's it's ideally you know ideally you want to go to church you want to be in community you want to be a part of small groups you want to be a part of people that are like you and want to you know share the same interests which is is jesus in in this this illustration but like if uh if you're not it's no wonder people you know don't want to stick around it's but you also have to have the grace and understanding that we're all trying to figure this out we're all trying to figure out this jesus thing um and it's not just about a title as pastor it's not about being a leader of a church or a small group leader or an usher or a sound engineer or a lighting technician it's it's all about jesus and um one of the number one things that my wife and I see when we go into churches that may be primarily older in age or demographic is there's a lot of territorialness and that territorialness is a big turnoff for young people. You walk in and they see you as young and they don't think that, you know what you're talking about or know what you're doing or, they don't want you to get plugged in because they feel like they're going to be replaced in their role, whether it's like, hey, I want to run media or, hey, I want to run slides. And then like you've got pastors like you and me, Scott, who are begging people to come and serve because we need more volunteers. But then you've got these people who are already serving in the roles who are kind of marking their territory and it's an automatic turnoff. So, I mean, I don't know what the right answer is. And again, it breaks my heart that these groups feel you know, quote unquote, left behind. But, you know, as the article says, where do we go from here? Um, I love the quote in that first sentence. It says Max Dupree, is it Dupree? Max Mm -hmm. Dupree once said, quote, the first job of a leader is to define reality, end quote. And uh, I find this research to be incredibly helpful for understanding the shifts happening in the local churches in North America. How many pastors, Scott, that you know or know of do a great job of defining reality? (laughs) gives you laugh
0: well and this goes (laughs) or
1: or scoff or whatever
0: i'm gonna say this and i'm probably gonna get in trouble so let's just he took the
1: glasses off
0: folks. i took the glasses (laughs) off because i'm here's the problem when we talk about christianity a lot of times it all goes back to how do we read and interpret the bible That's always going to be the foundation of everything as a Christian that we do, whether we're a Christian leader or you are a parishioner of a church. How you read the Bible and how you understand the Bible is always going to shape. And I mean, I took a class where we're in a hermeneutics class on a doctorate level, and literally my professor broke down and said, here's like, you know, there's 11 ways people can view and read the Bible from, you know, it is the infallible word of God all the way down to this is a book of prophecy where if you can read it and you understand it and if you're really good at understanding the Bible, then you can be able to crack any code in our universe, even to knowing when Jesus is going to come back, you know, like that sort of thing. So I think to answer your question, like, you know, the idea of understanding reality Someone may hear that and say, oh, well, you're being too worldly. You're being too worldly with your thoughts. You know, it's all about the Bible. You need to live a good biblical life. Well, I can have people who could be very faithful to studying God's word, to understanding the Bible, study commentaries, look at everything. And yet there could be certain topics where they would disagree on and they both would say, well, this is the biblical view. So I think a lot of times this idea of reality is, is not always an absolute. I think there's some things that are absolute that we can read from the Bible and say, yes, this is an absolute biblical truth. And I think there's other things that really it boils down to your interpretation and how much things are influencing you, whether it's your denominational belief all the way to your political belief. And so the idea of reality, I think is kind of a bit, in my opinion, a bit misleading because we can easily say, well, this is truth and this is the true way of reading something. When someone else can read the same exact scripture, do the same exact research and come with a different collusion from the same exact passage or scripture verse. Yeah. Does that make sense? Or did I go too far off the uh, trail?
1: No, I think you're, you're, You're accurate in your your statement there. Like I think that you know it's I'm going to get in trouble. It's it's (laughs) no different. It's no different than like having the conversation about alcohol, right? What's the word to say about alcohol? Clearly, it just says this: don't get drunk. Right? It doesn't say don't drink it. It just says don't get drunk. And then some people get so caught up in the whole idea of we're not drinking. Our church doesn't drink. If you drink, you can't be a part of our church, and that's just one example of of, of theology that people get hung up on. Men and women in ministry, like it, the the whole, you know, people get caught up on the whole Second Timothy or is it First Timothy uh, passage where you know the, the when women should submit to their husbands, and you know all those things. It doesn't say anything about a woman pastor submitting to a male pastor. It just says women should submit to their husbands, but that has nothing to do with. Many, so like what I'm saying in this illustration is that, you know, there are many examples where people just get caught up on theology. And like, that's, that's what we were talking about earlier when we, I think it was like the first or second group, but it was like, you know, people, people are walking away from church because they don't feel welcome. Right. Or it may be a theological difference. Like, why are we getting so caught up on those little itty bitty things that don't really matter when all that matters is people's salvation and Christ. Mm hmm. And I feel like you and I, we've been doing this for almost two years now. Like it's almost the same conversation every week about salvation and about theology and about the church. And it's like, when are we going to grow up and just, just accept the fact that Jesus died for you, Jesus loves for you, and you can have salvation in him. And we're still hung up on these ideas in 2023 of, Oh, we have to sing hymns because there's a doctrine of our faith. Yeah. Oh, we have to do this style of worship or we have to do, you know, we can't wear these clothes. You have to wear a tie, Scott. Like yeah. women can't serve a ministry. Like all of these illustrations, alcohol is bad. But right. What? Like, why are we getting so hung up on those little things?
0: Well, and and again, like, I mean, you look at their solutions. Here's their solutions. And it's like the same thing we've been preaching. You and me have been preaching for the last couple of years since we've been doing, having these conversations back and forth. Like it's about community. It's about, you know, people say, well, they want to find a church where they fit in. I mean, reality is, is yeah, you're going to probably have some people who are younger, they're going to go to walk into a church which filled with older people, and they're going to be like, oh, we don't fit in because there's no one our age, and so I think a lot of times when people hear that, they go, well, when young people come into our church, we'll say, hi, thank you for coming and joining us, but we're not going to engage them because they're probably not going to come back, but My opinion on all that is I've had people who have come in different ages. Even a church that has younger families, sometimes what I have found out, it has been the older generation who has built those relationships, who have built those friendships with people, made people feel so welcome and made them feel fit in that even though there are other younger families who probably didn't connect with the younger family, they may have said hi, it usually was an older, single, widowed person That probably led to someone attending their church more regularly was because they defriended them. They took them out to eat if they had the means to do so. And they did that. So when it comes to community, it's about not only the relational connections, but building up a genuine community. And I think a lot of times people can can smell if someone's being genuine or not a mile away people are going to know if you really actually care about them, regardless of how old you are or the age of the church. Um, They could, could care less about that if they are willing to say, well, these people genuinely care about me. And they're just like, Oh, Hey, a new person's here. Let's get them to join our church. So we don't have to struggle with our finances. Yay. So, you know, it's about building that community. Also the second thing, the impact of politics. I've been, I've been preaching to I blue in the face that the church should not be taking political sides or should not be focused on politics at all. And not only that from the, from the pulpit, but even within the congregation, when it's, I know it's the election, the 2024 election is going to be coming up soon. We're already in that political season now. And frankly, I don't want people to hear and to talk about politics right in the lobby when everybody's coming through. I mean, it's funny because I'm sitting, literally, I walk through church, I talk to a variety of different age groups of people, and not once, not once have I heard anybody, anybody talk about politics, which is surprising because I probably would have started hearing political talk at the last church I worked at. I probably would have started hearing political talk back in 2022, about next year and would have been hearing about politics all the time in the sanctuary out in the hallways in the kitchen in the classroom in the you know it was just like you know what's the core message it's not politics it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that should be the only thing we should be talking about and not about Biden this Trump this DeSantis this um Kennedy this like you know they're not God they're not Jesus stop talking about it uh, mental well, health. I think the, the, third...
1: pa- the pandemic escalated that as well. Like... Well, I
0: think it, it escalated. I think it started to escalate way before the pandemic, but the pandemic was just basically help. pouring accelerant on a fire. Yeah. I mean, they talked, the third one is, you know, the challenges of mental health, which I feel like if there's any group that, I mean, I know the United States is not really good about doing mental health and they have a whole history about mental health. I think they're doing a lot better now, but the church is off. has been awful about really tackling and discussing about topics of mental health. Well, you just have to have more faith. Well, sorry, but chemical and biological imbalances have nothing to do with faith. I mean, that may be that may shock people, but um, it doesn't. Um, and then the last thing is, um, you the know, the church mobilized needs to mobilize,
1: which is kind of what I was saying earlier. Like it may look different.
0: Yeah, and again, I love I love this thing. No, there is no amount of programming, excellence, compelling sermons, or relevant worship services that will bring them back. The key will be mobilization and training lay leaders and building relationships and bridges with the, the church.
1: You know the great about part about this. Yeah, know, the great part about this is God's word, and it doesn't change. Right, the story of Jesus doesn't change, and it's very simple. We've talked about that before. The gospel of Jesus doesn't change. Right. He died yeah. for your sins so that you could have eternal life with him, right? Yeah. Don't want to be like, cliche and you know, quote John 3, 16, but for God to so love the world yeah. that he gave his son so that he could die for you so that you could have eternal life with him, right? Yeah. Those words have never changed. I mean, there's been different versions of the Bible, ESV, NLT, NIV, NRSV, KJV, and NKJV, etc. But like, when, when push comes to shove, you could share the gospel with A stranger in Walmart. You can share the gospel with somebody in at the gas station when you're filling your your gas tank up. Uh, You can share the gospel while going on a walk with somebody and running into somebody randomly like that does not change, right? And all of those illustrations that I just gave you, Scott, you know, like they they won't take place in a physical church, right? Yeah, it's like it's that 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 initial sharing of the gospel and leading somebody to Jesus transforms their life. And it's the beginning of that transformation that you, uh, you want to see in somebody with their Christian walk. But like that, that's step one, my friend. Yeah. And then, then you're like, Oh, by the way, we, I'm a pastor and, and I work at XYZ church and we have services on Sunday at you know 10 AM. We'd love to have you. Yeah. But if not, here's my phone number. Let's connect over coffee and we can continue this. And I can continue to share about Jesus's mission and gospel and and God's word. And like that just blows my mind. Like it's, it's very, it's very subtle, right? Like it's, it's so, it's so baffling to me that like, we forget that we can just share the gospel anywhere we are with anybody who we, you know, come into contact with and it doesn't have to take place in the four walls of the church. Yeah. Where do we? Do you know where that happened? Where that whole that whole thing has just been like? It has to be the church. It has to be during worship. It has to be during the service. It has to be during the altar call or the invitation at the end of
0: the service. Constantine. It all goes back to Constantine. Okay. It does. It (laughs) literally goes all the way back to Constantine because once because again, a lot of the church would always meet in people's homes. They move around, and Constantine when he came to power and he made Christianity, the official religion of Rome and Constantinople, um, there's a thing where it's like, well, we need to have a singular place of worship to have all the Christians gather worship. Cause again, they're worshiping everywhere because they're afraid they're going to get killed by the other religions and the pagan gods and everything else that you would say. But yeah, I think that was the big thing that they had to really, really focus on. And I think, um, you know, and I'll kind of, I had a thought and I can't remember, but I have to remember You mentioned that, you know, the Bible never changes. And yeah. And if you look at the Bible, a lot of times when you look at Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't preaching at the Agora. He was preaching right. on a mountainside. Yeah. He wasn't Jesus preaching did, at
1: Crossroads Church or he wasn't preaching he wasn't, at Elevation well, Church. Occasionally he, he
0: did preach in the synagogue, but then he'd be preaching in right. people's homes. He wasn't right. open. He didn't open up a event center to have open up a big, long table and had meals with everyone. He was doing it in people's homes. And a lot of times when you look at how Jesus did ministry, and even if you go to the Old Testament, a lot of times we do get caught up with the prophets and them preaching. And, but when you start looking at like Exodus, when you start looking at uh, judges, Joshua, when you start looking at Ruth, uh, when you start looking at Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, Look at the relationships that are being built. I mean, the reason why um, Nehemiah was able to go back and rebuild was because of the relationship. He was the cupbearer for the king, and he had a great relationship. And he heard that, hey, Israel went back home, and everything's a complete ruin. It broke his heart, and the king says, what's going on? You seem out of it. And He's like, oh, my home is destroyed. We'll go back and rebuild your home relationships are key. And especially for you who are pastors who may be listening to this, you could be building up a relationship with people who may not be going to church or an ex-evangelical or someone who may not even have any background in Christianity or any Christian faith. And you could befriend that person and you could be like, hey, all right, hey, I love you, man. You're my best friend. You're a good friend of mine. If you'd like to come to church, Here's you could definitely I invite you to come to church with me, and here's what time we start service. And I think it's important that if your friend comes to your church and they have a bad experience at your church, maybe they just felt like no one connected with them, no one befriended them, none of your church people friended them. That is not a reflection on you, right? That's not a reflection on you because I know as a pastor. It's very hard to change a culture within a church. And it's very hard to change. I mean, I think I feel like if you were the president of of a country and you have a very toxic culture within your country, it's also going to be very hard to change that too. But just keep trying, keep going, keep talking. And, you know, I think even that, you know, be honest with your board and say, hey, I befriended this person. They came to church, had a bad experience. I want to talk about it. What can we do to change that so that when I bring that person back, if they come back, or if I bring another friend that I'm meeting out in the community, when they come back, that they could say, wow, I feel welcome and loved by this church. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't feel bad that if, if that's you, if you're in that category. At the same time, if they invite someone and your church has been very friendly, then you know you could tell, then you could be proud and you can just tell your board, hey, i we'll to let you know something. Here's what we did, here's something. It was absolutely fantastic. So good job, church. Well, I love let's it. keep moving, let's keep forward.
1: I love in Acts, Acts chapter two, when it's in verse forty four, verses forty-four and forty-six. Verse forty four says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And then in verse forty six it says and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and were glad with glad and generous hearts. Like they did things together. They liked each other. Like <laughs> it's it's amazing how we missed those little nuggets.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: I, I really enjoyed this article. I don't know about you. I did, kinda, I did too. It was stunning some of the statistics, but like, church, we got stuff to work on.
0: Yeah, and I think this article is good, too, because they really break it down in very simple forms. Is even if I say, because I mean, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, these ex-evangelicals are really destroying the church. Yeah, that's like 4%. That's 4% of the people who have been leaving the church. Like, the, your larger per- percentage of people are, these. this is the group that it goes. So I think it's a very good article for people to look at. I think if you're a church leader, this may be a good article for you to bring before your leadership committee, bring before your pastor. If you're not a pastor, if you're a pastor, bring it before your elder board. I think this is good to really talk about it, uh, really dissect it and really say, okay, here's the statistics where they are. What can we do so that we don't become a statistic and that we can kind of become the, we can kind of turn this trend or turn this uh, downhill slope around. I think that's very wise for us to do. So, Anyway, that's going to be us. Uh, it for us today, friends. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. We hope that you'll listen to us next week and we'll be back on the new episode.